Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to talk about uh, what I think is one primary uh, obstacle to really, to, to really being spiritual, if you will, or really connecting. And uh, the, the, timing of this, the timing of this talk is, I think, um, interesting because right now we're, we're um, counting the days between uh, Pesach, Passover, and Shavuos, which is when we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. So, so it's, it's a very, very interesting period in the, in the year. And, um, and it's the only period of time where we're actually counting, counting the days. Um, and, and that in itself has just, there's uh, tons and tons and tons of Torah just about that, what that means to really anticipate something to the, to the point where you're really counting each day. I know my, my kid shocked me the other day where they told me that there's something like only 67 days left till school is over or something like that. It's like, wow, you know, you, that's... Wow, you—that's a really accurate number that you're really counting down to that extent. So, and then of course one of the mysteries—I don't think we're going to go into it right now—but one of the mysteries is that we're counting up instead of counting down. Usually, you know, it's sort of like the the the, the sort of like the the paradigm we have in our mind is sort of like three, two, one, lift off, right? You usually count down to something, but here we're we're counting up to something. I once had a, a thought on on that, which is. Um, you know, why, why would that be? And I know that someone who is sort of like into money and finance and things like that, you know, they, they, I've got another, you know, million dollars or another billion dollars. So, you know, when it comes to wealth, you count up. And so the idea that Mount Sinai, which is like the source of all wisdom, which is the ultimate wealth, right? So, of course, you would be counting up because really that's, that's like true riches, um, so each day, you know, if you follow sort of the more sort of Kabbalistic aspect of it, each day correlates with a different sphere or a different combination of spheres. And so, so I guess the first question would be, what's, what, what are the sphere of, <laughs> right? Because I know this is something that I sort of wrestled with forever because it's sort of like, I just, that, you know, whenever I'd hear that term, spherot, my brain would just shut off. That, that was already too Kabbalistic for me. That was too esoteric. Like, I, I didn't know what to make of it, right? I knew that it was true and fancy and deep, but beyond that, it's like, you know, can't tell you anything else. So basically, here's, here's what I've come to. And I know that this is a radical simplification, but I think that this is accurate. So this will at least help us to, you know, at least put our... Uh, dip, a, dip our toe in, anyway, to the, to the concepts of it. Basically, Hashem took his light and condensed his light and formed the physical universe. That, that's the basic idea. So, so you have to understand, again, we, we're always saying it, but it's so important because so many people think that the material aspects of the world and the spiritual aspects of the world are two different paradigms, and maybe they meet in some people, maybe they don't meet. But the reality is, is that it's one spectrum. There's the spiritual becoming the material. It becomes increasingly condensed until God's light, so to speak, takes on a material shape, right? And that's what we call tzimtzum. That's what that process is. Now, okay, so what about this light that God is condensing? What can you, can we be more specific about that? So we can call it light, we can call it energy, right? 
I think energy is probably a much more dynamic, um, accurate term for what it is. So, and of course, that process of taking energy to materiality, that's what Einstein was talking about. When we say E equals MC square, the conversion of energy into mass, that's what, that's what he was talking about in, on, a, on a quantitative level. We're talking about it from a more sort of, um, you know, spiritual standpoint, but these are all different vocabularies to describe the same thing. You know, this is why the famous quote, I'm paraphrasing it, but, but the, the idea that scientists have been scaling this huge mountain and they finally get to the top and they see that there have been, you know, theologians sitting at the top the entire time. So, so the God people have sort of like arrived at these ideas um, way before, but science is still catching up and putting numbers to describe the phenomena that we've been talking about since day one. So, so this idea of this energy that God used to form the universe and create the universe with. So how does that, how does, how do, can we be more specific with that? And the answer is yes. And that's where we get to what we call the sphero. Um, and the, the spherot are different sort of wavelengths or frequencies of energy that Hashem uses to to combine and create the, the universe with. Okay, so now we can be even more specific because we say, well, these frequencies actually have personalities or names, if you will. They have more definable qualities. We have something called chesed, which is kindness. So again, these are the words that we put on them, but that's, that's sort of like getting to the core of the description of the energy that God is using. So there's... There's like a recipe, so to speak, of all these energies that, that come and create the universe. So one of these energies is kindness. Another is gvura. That's sort of like justice or, or, or strength. And that combines, and then it has to even out. And that's what we call teferit. Teferit is sort of that middle point, which is that balance between kindness and, and justice, if you will. And then we have... Um, Hod and Netzach, or Netzach and Hod. And those two combine to make what we call Yesod. Yesod is foundation. So we've got sort of like this triangle on top, and then we've got below that another triangle, right? And, and then all of those six different spherot that we just described all come down to one bottom one. They all sort of like drain and flow into one central pool, which is called machus, kingship. And that's the only sphere, interestingly, that just receives. And I know Reb Shlomo said that, that the nature of a king is a king receives. Right? And, and like on Shabbos, on Shabbos, every person, the Zohar says that every Jew is a king. So everyone on Shabbos is, receives, you know? A king and a queen. So a very interesting dynamic. Now, one of the things that just touched me because, again, these things can get very esoteric, but the more you dig into them, the more you realize that they're very grounded practical applications to all of these ideas. Um, I'll tell you one, it will start off, again, on an esoteric level, but then it will get very practical in a moment. Um, something that really touched me. If you're interested in, in learning more about this, there's a fantastic book which describes all of this and gives you, like, um, Kabbalah has a very uh, unique vocabulary a whole set of terms that really you don't find in other places in Torah study. And you can't even begin to understand anything Kabbalistic unless you know these, the definition for these terms. Okay, so if you're interested in learning more, there's a book called um, 
uh, it's by Rabbi Ari, Rabbi Ari Kaplan, and it's called uh, Inner Space. So that's um, that that's sort of like Kabbalah 101, and it's from a very amazing source. And there you can sort of get a very basic education, just in terms of what the general ideas are. You know what I mean? And again, with this type of stuff, you have to approach it with extreme, extreme humility. Because anyone who decides that they can read a book like that, and it's you know great if you can get through the book, that all of a sudden they're, you know, oh, now I'm an expert, right? Like, they're, that's the greatest proof they didn't understand anything in the entire book. You know, so, so these things are beyond, 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 beyond. But he puts it in a very sort of like at least approachable way, at least to begin to understand at least the terminology. Because you can't get anywhere without, you know, just a basic knowledge of the terminology. Um, anyway, so, so what's interesting about where we are in terms of the calendar, you know, going from Pesach to Shavuos, is we're going through all of the different spherot, all of these different energies, on our way to Mount Sinai. And the idea is that the Torah is really the perfect balanced way to live life. When all of these different energies are in harmony, then essentially we have the rectification of the world. And, and everybody knows, the Talmud says, that if you save one person's life, it's like you saved the entire world. Right? So there you see that, that, and this is one of the great empowering things about Torah, is that when a person works on themselves, because each person is a microcosm of the entire world, when you work on yourself and you're able to be able to um, correct a bad habit or uproot a negative personality trait, these things all have global and macro, macro applications. In other words, the, the work that you do on yourself affects the entire world. So that's, that's what's so cool about Torah. Like the tzedakah that you give in the privacy of your own home, in a, in a charity box, in a pushka, that reverberates in the entire universe. So, so, that's, so, so that's why we've got this um, simultaneous journey, journey that's going on between correcting our own mitos, our own personality traits, which which correlate with these different combinations of the sphero, on our way to Mount Sinai, which is the receiving of the Torah, which is the fixing of the entire world. Okay? So there's the micro and the macro are both on parallel tracks going on at the same time. Okay. So where are we right now? We're in an interesting place right now because there, there are, really there are 10 sphero, but the top three we didn't even mention because those are like already beyond, 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 okay? So when we're dealing um, with them, we're dealing with the bottom seven, okay? Now, those bottom seven, as I mentioned, there's a group of the top six, and the top six flow into the bottom seventh, okay? So those top six have a name, because often they're grouped together. That's called Zer Anpin. So if you ever hear that term, what that's, re- what's that, what that's referring to is it's a, it's a group umbrella term for chesed, gevora, teferet, netzach, hod, and yusot. Okay, all six of those together are called zer anpin. And those flow down into machus, which is this realm that we live in now. Okay, 
So now what's interesting about today is today on the Sphira calendar chart, today is Chesed Sheba Yesod, which means this is the first day of this category of Yesod. Now, that's interesting because Yesod is that place where the six rivers are flowing in before they all combine and flow down to Malchus. So in other words, right now, if you can tap into this Tikkun of Yesod, and we'll get into more of that in a moment, if you can sort of like master this aspect of Yesod, this is a combination of the previous five that have gone before it, because they're all flowing into this one one sphera before coming down into this world. So um, if you want to, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, really into whatever the fixing of the day is and everything like that. I'll tell you something crazy that happened to me this, this week. Someone um, at work gave me like a little, what, what we would call a chachka, right? <laughs> a little toy, right? But the, the uh, toy had a, an, a, it was like a little football player, right? But the, um, the, he, he, in the toy he was wearing a jersey, and the number was 32. And the person presented it to me on this 32nd day of the owner. <laughs> and then 32 is also gematria for the word lave, heart. And as a holiday present, they had given a few people, including me, this thing that was in the shape of a heart. <laughs> and I had put them next to each other on this like shelf of, you know, just memorabilia in my office. And, you know, so that just, you know, we don't even know, we're not even aware of how all of the Torah that we're learning is like right in front of our face all the time. You know, I'm reminded, I can't give you the details, but I was telling someone a Devar Torah not too far, not, not, not so long ago. And I was really trying to stress a point because I, I, I thought that it could help this person. And there was a particular word in this Devar Torah that I really wanted, was trying to explain, you know, for their benefit, hopefully, you know. And then like a week later, I realized that the gematria of that word was the gematria of their name. You know, so it's, it's we, we have no idea, like, you know, every once in a while we get a flash of insight into something. Okay, so now I'll just tell you something that happened yesterday, just because it was pretty wild. So, so we have someone who's really, you know, like the pillar of our, of the, of the happy minion. And um, I, I won't mention his name just because I, I didn't ask him permission to tell the story, but... But, uh, you know, one of the founders of the, of the minion of the community, and uh, they've been wanting to have a child for, for a number of years. And he had learned this um, segula, right? That, that when you cut the chala, when you give the chala to, when he, the man, gives the chala to his wife, he would say, you know, you should be blessed with a child. So they've been saying that, he's been saying that for years, right? As he handed her the chala. And, you know... For years, they, you know, didn't have a baby. So, um, so anyway, one of my kind of unofficial roles at the Minion is that if there's a happy occasion that's going on, then I'll kind of, on behalf of the Minion, give a, a blessing to the, to the person, who's, whoever it is who's celebrating it. And I know that if the person, if the man, let's say it's the man, got an aliyah, you know, got called to the Torah, whatever... Usually, 98% of the time, I'll base what I say on what the passage is that, that, that they call, got called up for. 
because you never, it's just a very interesting intersection. Like, why were they called out? I don't, I don't pick who goes up for what aliyah. And what week it happens, I mean, there are all sorts of things in the Torah, right? Like, it can happen at any time, right? So, and even that week, like, what aliyah is it going to be? Which section are they going to be called up for? So he was supposed to be, he, was so, he wanted to come the previous week to, to do the naming of the child. And uh, they were still working on the name. They, they couldn't quite figure out the name yet. So this week they came, and then uh, he showed up, and I thought he was going to get the, the sixth Aaliyah, but then he had to take care of something, and I thought, oh, the sixth Aaliyah, looked, it was such a good Aaliyah, you know? I thought, oh, that, I know exactly what I would say on that. And then, and then he had to take care of something, and then someone took the sixth Aaliyah, and then he came up for the seventh Aaliyah. And I looked at that, I said, oh, that's a good one too, you know? <laughs> so, so, so someone, uh, someone came, so he came up, and, uh, and uh, I'll tell the story a little bit out of order. Uh, well, actually, I already told it out of order, so I'm good, so I can continue. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what was his, what, what was the section that he had? And he's naming his daughter, right? Was the section about the bread and the, right? What, can you imagine? Like the, the, the lechem upon him, the showbread in the mishkan. What had he been doing for years? He had been taking the bread on his table, the challah, and giving it to his wife and giving her a bracha that she should have a baby, that they should have a baby. And he got called up for the aliyah about the, the, the bread in the mishkan. And they say that your table, your Shabbos table is like, is like the mizbeach, is like the altar in the, in the Beis HaMikdash. And this was where the bread was, the section of where we read about the bread in the Beis HaMikdash. An amazing, amazing thing. Like, how can you explain that? And he had been doing that for years. Right? How can you explain that? And he wanted to do it last week. But they still couldn't decide on the name. I told him. I said, because, because it hadn't come down yet. We didn't want to name it Saras. <laughs> so, so, so because what does Rabbi Wilson say? I always like to quote it. Which is that Hashem takes the letters of the week's Parsha, and then he weaves the fabric of reality out of that week's, the letters of that week's Parsha. So I said, you know, the, the, the name hadn't come down yet. You know? So, and look how, look at the precision of it. He was, he was, he was called up for the sixth Aaliyah. And then he said, oh, I got to take care of something. I mean, he wasn't officially called up, but the Gabbai was telling him, he's going to come up now, and he went, no, 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 I can't. So, I mean, even to that level of timing, to that level of timing. So, a person has to, and it's one of the hardest things to do. This is true humility. This is true humility. When a person is still in this place of waiting and confusion, and it's like, where is my thing, right? I want my thing. He got his thing, and she got her thing, and they got their thing. Where is my thing? You know, to just allow, a person can just, if, if a person can just summon the ability to say, I don't know, I don't know, instead of saying, instead of making accusations and determinations and everything like that, because when we see how precise everything is, then, see, so, so let me just address what I think is one of the obstacles to connecting. 
is 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 once we think that we know once the, once we think that we know you know what's the we love knowledge the jewish people love knowledge i mean we're all about learning learning constantly learning from day 1 to to the day we leave this world we're all about questions if you look at the talmud what's the talmud it's this massive collection of questions if something is true it only becomes more true by questioning it you know the only thing that has to fear questions is something that's not true. So are we we invite questions. We invite questions. But you won't but just because someone can't answer your question doesn't mean that it's that the that, that the thing is wrong or that it's flawed. It might be that you don't understand it, right? And it might be that this system you wouldn't have created, but you didn't create it. God created it. You know what I mean? Like there are certain things that we say, okay, this is against the Torah. If I design, if I wrote the Torah, I would have made that okay. Right? But I didn't make the Torah and then I didn't make the world. So, so if you don't like it, okay, I understand that you don't like it. Maybe I don't like it either. But at least I have the sense to know that I didn't make the world. The one who made the world made it. So, so, so you know, what can I do? You know, it... It reminds me, I, they say that a person shouldn't say that pork is disgusting. You know, a person is supposed to say, pork is delicious, but what can I do? My father in heaven said I can't eat it. <laughs> right? It, it's like if it's in the world, there's a point to it. If it's in the world, there's a point to it. It may not be for you, or you may not understand it. But something's gone Right? Now, now, don't take this idea too far. That doesn't mean that, therefore, oh, my neighbor is um, beating his kid, and my kid, you know, that kid I see is going to school with a black eye. I don't understand it. It's all from God. No. If there's serious injustice, you have to stand up to injustice. Right? You, when, that, that, this is, that would be an abuse of spirituality to, to tolerate injustice. But, but, there are other things where a person just has to be humble. And if you don't know the difference, if you're confronted with a situation and you don't know the difference, you ask someone who knows more than you do. And you say, what do I do about this situation? Am I supposed to be proactive or am I supposed to just have an Amuna moment, have a, you know, have, try to work on my Amuna, my belief? You know? Because, because it's tricky. Okay, now I kind of want to get more nitty-gritty. And I want to get more to the main thing I want to share this week. Which is, we have, we have this concept of, uh, and maybe let me just connect it at least on just, just on a very sort of like initial level to the quality of Yesod. Right? If we want to work on this aspect of Yesod, Yesod, each of the different spherot correlate with a different Torah personality. So Chesed, that correlates with Avraham Avinu, Gevura, that correlates with Yitzchak Avinu, Teferet, that correlates with Yaakov Avinu, Netzach, that correlates with Moshe Rabbeinu, Hod, correlates with Aaron Akoin, Yesod with Yosef Atzadik, and Malchus with David HaMelech. Okay? 
So right now, we're in this place of Yesod. And as we said, Yesod is where all the streams flow into before they come down into this world. So Yesod is Yosef Atzadik. So you would expect that Yesod, and this is in fact the case, you would expect to see that Yesod should, should, should have as one of its interesting qualities full integration. Right? Since all the different the different divine energy flows are coming into Yesod, and they're all collecting in Yesod, Yesod would have to be a representation of integration. Right? You, you, you see how this works. So who's more integrated than Yosef HaTzadik? Yosef is unbelievable. Yosef is running one of the greatest empires in civilization, and yet he's not called Yosef HaMelech. He's called Yosef HaTzadik. Because simultaneously, while he's running one of the greatest empires that's ever existed, he's like this super holy man. Right? And a lot of people have trouble integrating their professional life with their spiritual life. And also their sexual life. Right? That's like one of the primary sources of schizophrenia. Right? And here we have Yosef HaTzadik, is the master of his desire, right? He's been able to, to do that as well. And of course, in terms of each of these different um, spherot correlate with a different part of the body, and, and that's, the, that's the part that Yosef Atzadik correlates with, right? So this is his mastery over the, 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 the bris as well. So, so this idea of integration... So when we live in a material world, it's hard to integrate the spiritual and the material. All right? So now I'm going to give you a thought and something that we can work on in terms of our ability to integrate the material and the spiritual. And now let me approach it from another angle. But that's what we're going to do right now. We have a concept um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real thing, but it's also a philosophy, a concept. Uh, and it's called Amalek. Amalek is sort of the archenemy of God, the archenemy of the Jewish people. It's a nation that just battles against us and tries to mess us up. We don't know in this day and age who is actually a, an authentic Amalekite, but they say anyone who has a philosophy of Amalek is, is like an Amalekite, but that's that's not a psak. That's 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 just a just a thought. Um, but Amalek is also an energy. It's something that tries to to cool off our spirituality. Because it says that um, in the Torah, when it's describing our confrontation with Amalek, it said that Amalek just sort of like happened upon us, right? And it makes it sound like in the, in, the, in, the, in the Torah that there was a sort of coincidental collision between us. And so the rabbis seize on that idea of this idea of coincidence. And that if, if someone just thinks that there's coincidence in the world, that things just kind of happen. Oh, that was interesting. It just sort of happened. 
and they don't see a divine purpose or plan behind it, then already there's this separation between them and God because they just think, oh yeah, just things happen, right? And it's, a, it's this, this um, opportunity to detour in terms of your direct connection and direct relationship with God and start to attribute all sorts of things in your life to happenings, quote-unquote, coincidences, quote-unquote. So I want to go deeper into this idea, and I want to be very, very specific, because this touched me, and I don't know if it will resonate with you, but I just want to put it out there. And, and, and here's, here's how I would phrase it. One of the big questions in life and in our daily life is, who are you receiving from? Who are you receiving from? Are you receiving directly from God or are you receiving from all sorts of other channels? Okay, now, now ultimately they're not in contradiction with each other because God brings things into the world through other, challenge, through other channels. But who are you emotionally, on an emotional intellectual level, receiving from? So let me give you like a crazy example, okay? Imagine you order a dishwasher. And there's a knock at the door, and the delivery man is there with a big crate. There's your dishwasher. And you say, you, you unbelievable genius, you are the inventor of the dishwasher. Right? And the guy says, I didn't invent the dishwasher. And you go, yes. Yeah, oh, you didn't? Oh, but you made, you put together, you got all the parts, and you made this dishwasher for me. The guy says, I... I didn't invent the dishwasher and I didn't assemble this dishwasher for you. I'm, I work for UPS. I'm a delivery man. I'm just bringing you the, the, the dishwasher. But do you see how, do you see the madness of attributing to the messenger the, the, the source of the thing itself? How, how crazy that is? Okay. So let's, let's take this further. You see, if I'm getting all of my food, if I'm receiving all of my food from the supermarket and I'm receiving my clothing from the gap, what do I need God for? See, because in my heart, what do I need, what do I need God for? I go to the supermarket and I get my food. I go to the gap and I get my clothing. So what do I need God for? Do you see how if I'm not receiving directly from God when I get each thing, if I'm attributing all of my thanks to the middleman, then this is, this is what cools off a person's heart. See, we live in an era, at least in the Western world, um, we live in an era of almost compared to other times in history, unimaginable, unimaginable material wealth, where all of our needs are almost right in front of us and are taken care of right in front of us. And so it's so easy on an emotional level to receive from all of the middlemen and to think that all the middlemen are the ones who are providing you with all of your needs and that, it's like taking this fire hose and spraying out the fire in your heart. 
because I just got this amazing thing. But where did I get it from? I got it from aisle five in the supermarket. Okay, yeah, if you, yeah, I, if you ask me, okay, but where did the rice come from? I'll tell you that it came from God. But when I bought it and when I ate it, except for the bruja, which I said in a nanosecond, it was totally from the supermarket. So, so what's the fixing for this? I, I hope that you're understanding like what I'm saying, because this is a big idea. Because we're going through our life receiving like a divine hand doesn't come down and hand us an energy bar. Right? So our lives, and I'm talking about 100% of our lives, right? Unless anyone's, you know, been handed something, you know, with a, you know, from directly from God. I mean, all of our lives, we have to solve this spiritual problem of the middleman. Because it completely cools off a person's heart. We have to receive directly from God. We have to, everything that we get, we have to receive directly from God. So how do you do it? So I can tell you what Rabbi Nachman says. Because Rabbi Nachman anticipated this problem hundreds of years ago and already had a solution. He said, before you get something, anything, the most mundane thing in the world, you have to pray for it. So I, I haven't tried to do this yet. But that means, that means before you reach for a box of cereal in the supermarket to say, please, God, I need some cereal. <laughs> I'm being totally serious. I'm being totally serious. I mean, if you think about it, then you say, wow, that really sounds like a pain in the neck. <laughs> mm -hmm. But let's look at it the other way. If you think about it, every time you walk into a supermarket, God is about to open up all the gates of heaven for you and bless you with this amazing, like, literally basket of, of like, gifts. Right? So wouldn't it make sense if you were going to go into the king's treasure house? Like, oh, you know, that's a... I mean, just to be invited in is an amazing thing. I mean, how is it that there's not a bracha for entering into a supermarket? Right? But think about it. Think about it. Every time you enter in, you're about to receive bounty from the king. Right? I, I mean, you should, like, you should have to go to the mikvah before you go into the supermarket. Right? I want to be in the proper state. Like, I would go to the mikvah before I saw a Rebbe. Right? And that's a Rebbe. Like, here I'm going to be receiving direct from God. So, so, less than that? So, so imagine this experience. You're, you're standing and you say, Hashem, please, I need some rice. And then you look and there's 12 different types of rice in front of you. And God's saying, pick. You like the basmati. This one's got jasmine in it. That one's chicken flavor, and it's parav. <laughs> this one's got a little pilaf action going on in it. What do you like? Pick anyone. Pick anyone. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Really. 
You know? I mean, you see, Hashem wants to preserve our free choice. And so that means, remember, and this is in every area of life, even for Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the, you know, arguably the greatest human being that ever lived, and it will be, is greater in prophecy than Mashiach will be, right? Mashiach will be greater in other things than Moshe. But in terms of prophecy, we say there is no greater prophet that ever will be than Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu had Bilam on the counterbalance. So even when you get to the, 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 the towering heights of spirituality of Moshe Rabbeinu, you still have this spiritual equilibrium that exists, where you have a Bilam opposite Moshe. So, so, so how does that apply to what we were just talking about? In terms of the wealth, the absolute wealth of opportunities, of material blessings that God has put into the world, he's put in a counterbalance called dissatisfaction. Taking for granted, unappreciation, finding fault. Because everything has its balance. So there's been a big sort of like, okay, I'm going to bring in this tremendous resource for everybody. And I'm going to bring in this tremendous ability to not appreciate any of it. (laughs) Do you see? It's like science and Torah today. If... If God created the world, and of course that he did, and of course that he did, that means that he created everything in the world, of course, because God is one. So anyone who thinks that there's a a, a problem, an irreconcilable tension between science and Torah doesn't know what they're talking about. God who created everything in the universe also created science. Also created all the scientists. Also created all of their ability to think and to divine and all the rest. But Hashem wants to, and if they're in contradiction, as the Rambam says, either you don't understand what the Torah was actually saying, or, you, or, or the science is off. Right? One or the other. But, but the idea that somehow they're irreconcilable makes no sense. I mean, the thought itself doesn't make sense. So why am I bringing that up? Because science right now is revealing the most unbelievable wonders of, they're all descriptions of how God works. That's what science is. Just putting numbers to it. And more detailed information, more blueprint type presentations to how God works. That's what science is. Right? As Rabbi Nachman put it, Torah discusses the why, science discusses the how. Okay? So, so but if you, if you really, if, if it was, if, 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 um, if all of the science that you got today was put out by the Israeli rabbinate, it would take away everyone's free choice. <laughs> because everyone would clearly see how, how, God is 
how, how unbelievable God is. If it was all put out in the name of religion, your free choice would be taken away. Because you would see clearly God is governing every aspect of everything in the entire universe. From the greatest, like, quasars to the subatomic level. So God puts it, God puts this amazing revelation of how he's working, but then he presents simultaneously, in order to preserve free choice, this amazing helping of atheism. You know, codename science. But it's not, but, but there is no contradiction. It's just how God is is revealing information in the world while simultaneously making sure that we don't lose our free choice. He wants to keep the balance. So while these tremendous secrets about how God works are being revealed, they're being revealed through challenge through a channel which says, "Oh no, this is science, not religion." As though there's any distinction between anything in the entire world because God is one. So again, God wants to keep this balance. And again, to get back to this point, again, we're in the sphere of Yesod right now. Yesod is that channel of integration where all the different, where Chesed and Gevur and Teferit and Netzach and Hod are all flowing into Yesod. They're all welling up and collecting there before then they come down as one in Malchus. Okay? This six is the integration. This is the Zer Anpin, right? And it's all coming together in Yesod, which means foundation, you know? So this aspect of integration is something that we all have to strive for in our own lives, which is balancing all of these different sides that present themselves as contradictions to us, but we realize they aren't inherent contradictions. It's God just trying to preserve our free choice. And I think on one of the, you know, most emotional sort of like levels, this idea of, we'll return back to the question, who are we receiving from is such an important thing. Who are we receiving from? Because again, if I'm getting my food from the supermarket, if that's where my food is coming from, and I'm getting my clothing from the gap, if that's where my clothing is coming from, what do I need God for? Right? I understand. Oh, yeah, God's somewhere behind all that. And yeah, I get it. But at that moment when I get it, that moment when I get it, like, for instance, can you imagine you, um, you want to give a, 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 a very precious present to the one you love? Imagine you want to give, like, a diamond ring, right? Like, maybe it's an engagement ring or something like this to the one that you love. Right? And, um, you know, you leave it on the table for one second, and then, oh, you just remember there's some emergency that came up, you have to run out. And then the one that you love comes in and sees the, the diamond ring, or maybe, um, maybe the housekeeper sees it and hands it to the one that you love and says, oh, I think this belongs to you. <laughs> and then you come back and you're like, where is it? And then the person goes, oh, I, uh, I wanted to give it to you. 
The moment when you receive something, that, that, that connection, that's a, that's a love connection when you present someone with something. That's a love thing that's happening. So you can say, ah, oh, you know, I don't know much y- Yiddish, but this one, much I know. Nishkafelech, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, look, yeah, I want to give you the ring, you got the ring, everything's good. The maid gave you the ring. <laughs> Everything is not good. <laughs> I wanted to give you the ring. So you say, oh, what's the difference? You got the ring, I got the ring. It makes a huge difference. I wanted to give you the ring. So, so when Hashem, can you imagine, now let's think about this in terms of Hashem. What do you mean you got the rice from aisle five? <laughs> what are you talking about? I gave you the rice. <laughs> that was from me. I gave it to you. You think the shelf gave it to you? So there's a there's a there's an emotionality, there's an emotionality, and a and a connection point. That moment when you receive a present, and who who gives it to you? That's very very meaningful, and like really resonates with us. And that's why I think you know, you know, those of us who are just really just trying to examine our lives and work on our lives and make ourselves into more refined people and more appreciative people, that, that, this is, that this is not a small thing, that this is a very big thing, because this is something that we deal in throughout the entire day, throughout our entire lives. And can you imagine if you're the type of person, or can I imagine if I'm the type of person that I'm receiving things from God all the time? I'll be, I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, I'm being showered, right? I'm being showered with gifts. can't believe. Then, okay, maybe there's this thing that I really need and that thing that I really need and Hashem, please, can you give that to me? But at least I, I, I feel, I don't feel like that God forgot about me. Because God hasn't forgotten about any one of us. This is one of the hardest things in the world, is that when we really want something, we think, ah, God forgot about me. God hasn't forgotten about any one of us. God forbid, chas v'shalom a zillion, billion times. God knows exactly who every single one of us is, and is keeping us alive every single second, and is giving us tons of stuff every single second, and there's a direct, amazing relationship going on, Right? And it's up to us to open up our minds and our hearts to, to realize, you know? You know, I don't... This is portrayed in TV and movies all the time. And I know many of us have experienced it in, in our own lives, right? Which is... Um, you know, there's someone, say, there's a, there's a girl that you know, or maybe there's a guy that you know, and um, I'm saying it's like if you're a guy or if you're a girl, whatever it is, it's the opposite sex, and they're, um, you know, you have a crush on them, or they have a crush on you, but you're just friends, right? And the person, you know, is too shy to ever, like, like they're afraid that they're going to ruin the relationship, so they don't want to, 
They don't want to tell the other person how they feel. But meanwhile, and the other person doesn't know. So the other person, it's like, you know, I never knew you loved me. And sometimes those stories have happy endings, and many times they don't have happy endings, you know. It's just the way it is. Um, but let's go, let's do the happy version of that story. <laughs> Where the person says, you know, you know, uh, I, I hope you don't mind my saying, but I, I actually love you. The person says, what? That's fantastic. Let's get married. <laughs> so it, it's like, <laughs> so, you know, we, so many of us just think God's our friend. We're going through life thinking, yeah, you know, God's my friend, whatever it is. But meanwhile, God's like, oh, I love that person. I wish they knew. <laughs> I wish they knew. I love them. Right? And then you find out, oh, you love me? Wow. Then this is a whole different relationship. This is a whole different life. I thought you were just kind of going by the flower store, so you picked me up some flowers. I didn't realize you were giving me flowers. Right? I mean, you realize every time you buy flowers, God is giving you flowers. <laughs> You want God to give you flowers? Buy some flowers. <laughs> so, so, so again, I'm just talking about receiving. And then when you receive, then you, then you figure out, oh, but who am I receiving from? Oh, you mean I'm receiving from the one who loves me the most? Yeah, sure. Kind of, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I read something this week. I was going to mention it, but maybe I'll say it now. From the Or HaChaim. And this is a very high level. So don't, don't get like, don't get blown away by this thought. Because this would be something that a person would have to work on over time. Okay. But this is not coming from me. It's the Or HaChaim. One of our greatest, greatest, greatest rabbis ever. And he says that um, he says that when Hashem commands us that we have to love Him with all of our heart, right? Which is in the Shema, you know. Um, he says, you know what that means? He says, imagine a person really that they have to take everything that they, all of their wants. Like imagine that a person really wants to have a child. This is his example, okay? And he says. Then imagine they had, like, a lot of children. How thankful would they be, right? So he says that you have to love God. Loving God with all of your heart means loving God as though all of your prayers for that thing were answered right now. See, because if, if my heart is capable of loving even more, but I'm not loving to that extent because I haven't gotten the thing yet, right? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like I'm a car salesman. You want your car? Give me the money. 
I'm just giving you the car. Give me the money, then I'll give you the car. So a lot of us, and again, this isn't intentional, but a lot of us are like, okay, God, you want the tremendous thanks? I've got, I've got more thanks in my heart. I've got more love in my heart. I do. Give me the thing, and then I'll give you the love. But if meanwhile, we've got just a lot of love waiting in our heart, and the mitzvah is love God with all of your heart, then what am I withholding for? I'm telling you, this is a very high level, so don't, just, just to hear the idea is redemptive, because then you have an idea like, oh, this is a place where I can arrive at in terms of my own spirituality, right? Just because sometimes we limit ourselves just from lack of learning, because we don't even know that that level is even attainable, because we don't know it exists. But if you think about it, the idea that I have a whole reservoir of thanks or of love if I had gotten a certain thing. He says, imagine a person is broke and then all of a sudden they got wealth. Imagine how thankful they'd be. He says, love God as though he had given you that right now. Because if you have that potential to love in your heart right now, and the mitzvah is to love God with all of your heart, then what are you waiting for? Do it right now. So, so, so there are different strategies in terms of dealing with um, deprivation. You know, another strategy that he gives, which is really, really interesting. I don't think I've mentioned this yet. It's a very interesting parable. He says that imagine a person is going to move from one place to another place. So what they do is they sell all of their possessions. And with all of their money, they buy a, a gem, a big jewel. Okay because they have to journey from one place to the other place. How are they going to do it? So they convert all of their cash into a jewel. And they take that jewel and they hide it in their clothes. And they're thinking, you know, it's going to take me X amount of time to travel from here to there. So I'm going to get some silver coins. So I have some liquid assets, you know, just enough to make the trip. And then when I get to that other place, I'll, I've got, I've got uh, what I need. So what happens in this parable? What always happens in our life, in every aspect of our life, it takes longer than we think it's going to take. Because everything always takes longer than we think it's going to take. And so what happens is the person runs out of their, 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 their coins, their liquid asset. And now they're broke. And now they're dealing with deprivation and humiliation. But at the same time, they know I've got this big jewel, right? And that knowing that they've got this, these riches, this big jewel, helps them to get through the hard times that they're going through because they know they've got this huge jewel. As soon as they get there, they've got this huge jewel. So he says, what is that huge jewel? Love of God. He says that any person who tries to love God, that's like this big jewel that's waiting for them. This enormous treasure that's waiting for every single person. It's called love of God. And if you have it, then, as you go through life and all the disappointments of life and things like that and everything taking longer than you want it to, that sense of deprivation, you just think about that jewel that you have that's waiting for you. And, you, and it makes it easier for you to get through the journey till you arrive. 